Hello, welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 226. My name's Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Good. Good to know. Yeah. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Clea Duvall's The Intervention, as well as Todd Rohal's Uncle Kent 2, both uh, indie releases that came out this week. We'll also be talking about some other stuff we've been watching on the watch list, movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. Let's just dive right into our first movie. I was thinking we could talk about The Intervention first. Let's get it. All right, so this is written and directed by Clea Duvall. This is her feature directorial debut. You may recognize her as an actress. She's been in a ton of stuff. Most recently, I believe she was in Veep, and she was in The Faculty. She's in a ton of stuff. She's in tons. Very good career. And this is her first major foray into directing. I have a synopsis here. A weekend getaway for four couples takes a sharp turn when one of the couples discovers the entire trip was orchestrated to host an intervention on their marriage. Quite a cast in this one. We got Melanie Linsky, Jason Ritter, uh, Natasha Lyonne, Clea Duvall is in it as well. Ben Schwartz, Aaliyah Shawcat, Vincent Piazza, Kobe Smolders. Good cast. Good ensemble. It is very good ensemble. Now, I wrote a review for this. Oh, boy. So we'll oh, shit. That means me. So we'll start it with you, Kevin. God damn it. What say you to the intervention? Uh, I'll say that I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it was right off the bat. It's pretty uh, It's pretty predictable. Just get that out of the way once it starts up. I mean, it, it starts off a little bit where you're kind of, you're not 100% sure if Who's, what the intervention's for, who it's for, because it seems like everybody's got their own set of problems. seems like you could have an intervention for anyone in this mm-hmm. cast of characters. Mm, yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, I thought it was pretty solid. The And, it, you know, essentially, it's, it's, it's an acting film. It's all about the acting. And I thought the acting was pretty great. The ensemble's great. But... It, it is predictable. Yeah. You know exactly where it's going to go. As soon as it's laid out on the table, you're like, well, I know how this is going to end. Yeah, and, and see, this is the big problem I have with this movie. I, I was a little meh about this one. I was a little lukewarm on it. Uh, I agree that I think it's a great ensemble piece. Uh, I like almost everybody in this. In fact, I think I I do like everybody. I can I can solidly say I like everybody in this. Yeah, and that's really what helps it. I mean, that's really what helps it is because you like all of these people. And that's that's really the only thing that was that this had uh, going for it, for me, at least. I thought that the like you said, the predictability of it was it was overbearing, like from the first scene when uh, Melanie Linsky and Jason Ritter are in the airport and they're kind of bickering about, you know, the her choice of bags and how she likes a plain black bag with no <laughs> descriptive uh, uh, tags or anything. I was like, okay, so we're, we're establishing that they're, they have problems too. And then as soon as they get to the house, it's like, okay, well, everybody's got problems. So I know what that means. There's going to be a lot of learning from each other in this. Everybody's oh, going to learn from everybody. And guess what? The intervention is for all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not They're just all... the one couple. It's not Vincent Piazza and, and Kobe Smolders. It's the it's all of them. They all have They're, issues. They're all going to learn something. They're all it, they're all going to take away something from this little holiday weekend vacate whatever it, it, I don't know what it is, but and and the thing was I just I like I thought that all the performances were solid. I mean, again, great cast, but I I didn't really find any of the characters too interesting. I, th- I felt like they were all pretty flat for me as far as characters. Maybe it was because they were going for kind of uh, a realistic vibe, and it wasn't like <laughs> the, it was. It, it was almost too real, where these characters are are pretty yeah, boring. They're that, just normal people. That's the difficult thing with this is she does do a really good job of creating these characters. They there's depth to them. But you're right. They're they're almost too realistic in the sense that they're just they're boring people almost. I mean they're they're like my neighbors. 
I felt like, I that watch a movie of my neighbors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I thought that Ben Schwartz was one of the more interesting characters, but I felt like he was the one that they explored the least out of all of them. No, yeah, and it, his character out of everyone was the he was the he was like the target easy button. Yeah, where it's just like we're gonna load up his character that you know we can just deploy him when we need it. Right, he was the most animated. He was the goofball. Of the group, and then, yeah, and then you know his backstory that kind of pushes things towards the end. But see, where he I gets thought, his little moment, and yeah. it's like. But see, I felt like that was that was too little, too late with him because when they revealed that, I was like, oh, okay, because that's what gave his character depth that that kind of revelation. Yeah, but they kind but, of only use it for that point, you know, and, and and it was it was done in such a way where it was basically just a statement. It was a conversation between you know, two of the other characters and they were like, Oh, well this is what happened. And then that was like kind of it with that. And I was like, okay, well see, that's really interesting. And I want a little bit more of, of that. And, and I felt like that was just kind of lacking. He was there as the comic relief sort of. And, but at the same time, I I wanted to know more about his character because I found him the most interesting. Whereas, no, Jason Ritter was. Well, again, I liked I liked him in that role. It was just like there was nothing. Like he just he was just a blank slate. He's just he's just trying to, you know, he's just trying to play the middle. He's just trying to go with the flow. Yeah, which is perfectly fine. It's just not. I didn't find it to be that entertaining. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's not my cup of tea, first and foremost. But I would say that, you know, you have Hollywood movies that do this type of thing. And she did it much better than any of those Hollywood yeah, I mean, it, it movies had, do. But at the same time, it's still, it is what it is, where it's like, eh, not bad. Yeah, it had kind of a big chill vibe to it, where it's an ensemble getting together and they all have their own issues and they're kind of working through them and they learn from each other and all of this. And, you know, as far as her, her directing for a debut, I thought she did a solid job. I thought that she juggled, you know, this many characters pretty, pretty well, but it's just that I did not find the the narrative very intriguing. And it's just, uh, again, just kind of was a mess. Well, and it, and with another thing is you can tell that it's you can almost tell that it's directed by an actor because it's mm-hmm. such an actor movie. But, oh, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you do got to give her kudos that she out of all the characters in this movie, she's the one that kind of just there's not much going on with her character. It's not like a showcase for her to like oh, let me show my range. Yeah, you know, that's she true. lets everyone else do their thing, yeah. which to me, Colby Smulders did a fantastic job out of everyone. She's the one that kind of surprised me in all this well i shouldn't say surprised because she's been pretty solid in everything i've seen her in to the point where it's like she should be getting a lot more work i agree i totally agree she she should kind of be a superstar maybe yeah she's got it she she definitely because she's pretty damn good yeah 100 percent agree with that she's she's, she's excellent and then everyone else is just again the people you like you like seeing them you like hanging out with them for an hour and a half in a film Good times. You know, Natasha Leone, Ben Schwartz, Shaw Cat. You put them in a movie, I'll hang out with them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, but it wasn't... The other thing that kind of bummed me out a little bit was that it's not that funny. It's, the comedy in it is very understated and pretty sparse throughout. Yeah. The, yeah. the biggest laughs you can see in the trailer, so... Don't go into it thinking like this is going to be, uh, you know, a rip roaring screwball comedy. <laughs> Sling jokes left and right. Zingers all night. It's definitely more drama than comedy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, someone does get hit in the face with a peach. Yeah, that 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 happens. We're throwing peaches and, and uh, kickballs. Kick. Got to hit, hit to the face with a kickball. <laughs> Uh, kickball. Yeah. It's just, it's good to know that other people play kickball. Sure. Now, if they were playing hitball, 
Well, that, that, yeah, that's right. <laughs> then I would be blown away because I'm pretty sure that was a sport invented by our school because we were not allowed to actually kick the balls. <laughs> if you ever wonder about me and Adam's education, realize that we went to a school that thought kids should not kick those red balls because it will make them lopsided. They should therefore hit them instead with their fist. <laughs> Because a fist is different than a foot. So, so, if you're ever wondering, like, geez, what, what kind of education did these guys get? That's the kind we get. <laughs> oh, hit ball. Fists are different than feet. Oh, man. Good lord. Yep. Fucking hit ball. So, overall, I was a bit meh. On the intervention, I, I mean, I was, was fine, but it was not. See, the problem is also that a lot of movies like this are coming out, and that, and like just just two weeks ago, I saw Joshi, which is essentially this. It's same pretty time. much the same thing, and I thought that everything, the way that they handled, I thought that the narrative in Joshi was more interesting, and I think that it had more meat to it than the intervention. So. F- for that in and of itself, I just kind of, that brought it down for me too. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these with, with Mumblecore, I know we're going to talk about it again, this episode. I feel like we talk about it too much, but I'm talking mm-hmm. about it again with Mumblecore in the early days, as it evolved, it kind of turned into this. Like this is what Mumblecore used, has evolved into. I think. Well, this is, this is Mumblecore with adults. And that's that's I think that's like what's happening. Like like, if you if you look at the trajectory of the Duplass brothers and Swanberg and a lot of these other filmmakers that kind of spearheaded the the whole mumblecore thing, I mean they're the ones that essentially created the subgenre. As they got older, these are the types of movies that they started making, and that's when they got big. You know, yeah. And I think that that's kind of what this is what mumblecore is now it's these uh 30 somethings that are trying to just figure out their place in the world they're trying to accept adulthood and their responsibilities and give up that you know 20 something lifestyle but let's also point out that peter and ruby's marriage was fucking shit jesus it was yeah they're fucking miserable people. I mean, all all the relationships in this movie. Yeah, they're, were, they're yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're not. None of Which them. Was, none of them, I would say, are healthy. It's it's the interesting thing is that with Peter and Ruby, they they made their issues very public and out in the open, whereas all everyone else kind of uh, put the blinders on because they were focused on. They're, yeah. they're, the other Peter and Ruby's relationship and yeah. they were neglecting their own as a result. Which I think was a part of maybe to a point was them kind of like, hey, they're worse than us. Exactly. Yeah. We don't have to we don't have to worry. They're worse than us. We're all right. And, and I think that they all of them were completely foolish in thinking that by by doing this intervention it wouldn't uh, you know, bring up <laughs> yeah. the the underlying resentment and issues that they they have in their own relationships, because that was the first thing. Like Vincent Piazza, like the first thing he did was went on the defensive. You know, <laughs> yeah, just tore all of them down. Yeah, like you didn't see that coming. Come on, yeah, guys. of course, of course, that's what's Come gonna on. happen, guys. I feel like Ben Schwartz kind of came out of that whole thing unscathed. Well, yeah, I mean, he didn't really have. He he didn't want to be a part of it to begin with. Yeah, because he is. He kind of points out from the beginning that this is a really stupid idea. Yeah, it's just dumb. Because it is dumb. Like interventions seem dumb to me, but I don't know. Maybe they do work. I have no idea. I don't know. I, I'm sure that there are statistics <laughs> on the success rate of interventions, but 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 I don't know. Like the the whole that statistic may be muddled because usually it's about addiction and if the intervention goes well like usually the goal of the intervention is to get them into rehab yeah so who knows if it's the rehab that worked or the intervention that worked 
if yeah if and how many people so. are just going into rehab because they're like fuck let's get this intervention over with like i'll go into rehab and <laughs> yeah. just shut the fuck up reading your letters that would be me shit. that would be me that's you know, what i would do too <laughs> i would go into rehab just to get out of that awkward horrible situation exactly. and then sneak out of rehab with like in the first night <laughs> all right balance so I, I mean, it's, 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 it's all right. Intervention's all right. For me, right down the middle, I give this a five out of 10. I would, uh, yeah, like five, five and a half. I, I would, I would bump it up to five and a half because of Kobe Smolders. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, she was great. I, I don't want to, you know, have uh, five out of 10 seems like it's bad, but really when I was writing the review, I was like, it's, it's not a bad movie. I think I even say that in the movie. It's, it's not a bad, not movie. It's a bad it's just, movie. It's just, it's, it's a safe movie. Yeah, it's just, I mean, safe. It's, and it's, it makes sense. It's your directorial debut. You go the safe route. It's pretty familiar territory that we're dealing with here. We're essentially just going off of performances. You have a good ensemble, you have good performances. It works to a certain extent, but it's, it's kind of played out. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't think that I'll remember this by the end of the year. Yeah, like out of all the movies from this year, like you don't need to see this one. Yeah. Like I wouldn't put this on a list of like must see. You can't miss this one. Yeah. All right. So that's the intervention that is uh, playing in limited release and on video on demand right now. Let's talk about our next movie with Uncle Kent 2. Now... This is directed by Todd Rohall, stars Kent Osborne, Joe Swanberg. Uh, there's a ton of people in this. Lots of it's mostly cameos of people. Like yeah. We have Steve Little. We have um, oh the the, the the cast list is all out of order. Uh, Jennifer Pregnager is in it. Uh, Kate Herman. Who? Kate Herman. Yeah. She plays Susie Zaletta. Lindsay Haley as Miriam, who's dressed up as cat agent. Cat agent, of course. But I didn't. I didn't know that was him. I didn't know cat agent was him. Yeah, I didn't know that. A lot of oh, uh, it's, it's a veritable who's who of indie comedy people in this. Lots of, lots of uh, indie comedy people like Linus Phillips is in it. Wearing some wearing some shades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the end of the world is happening. Yep. Just strolling uh, through a hotel with some shades on. So let me read a synopsis for this. In a desperate search to create a follow-up to Joe Swanberg's 2011 film Uncle Kent, Kent Osborne travels to a comic book convention where he loses his mind and confronts the end of the world. Now, for, I first want to mention the, the poster for this movie. Fantastic. Because this is the classic poster. I don't know who designed it. I should have looked it up. But it it uses... Pretty much every poster trope imaginable. It's a floating head poster. It uses the teal and orange color scheme, which for poster nerds, that is like the worst because it's contrasting colors instantly kind of uh, draw attention. So you see a lot of posters use teal and orange. And... Teal and orange is good stuff. That's what my basement is. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the teal and orange, on posters right. at least. Well, you wouldn't fucking hate my basement then. Well, I don't understand. What's, what is teal and what is orange? Uh, the walls. I have teal and orange. Painted. Is it is teal and design orange. or is it like stripes or? Oh, uh, no. Like my bathroom is orange and then the walls in the basement are teal and then there's my electrical box has like a design that's like orange. It's like a diagonal type thing. Well, I, I, it's I a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I'm sure that I would like it. I don't. It's not that I hate the colors teal and orange. <laughs> I don't even hate them together. <laughs> I just think oh, we, oh, we got sidetracked. <laughs> I just don't like teal and orange posters because it's okay. horrible. I I have no teal and orange posters in my basement. Good. So you'll love it. Good. Excellent. Uh, so, I have a review for this up, too. So, but I can... Start with me again? Jesus. Eh, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you... Carrying in this whole fucking show. <laughs> I wrote the reviews for these. I mean, my thoughts are out there. 
<laughs> you should hold the heavy work. Uh, Uncle Kent, too. Um, number one, I hated Uncle Kent. The first one. I don't even remember it. I barely remember it. I do too. I like. I yeah. I don't really remember it either. He I was, just remember it was I like, didn't him, like it. Him on ch- on uh, chat roulette. Chat roulette. Yeah. And then him having. He had a three way. Yeah, that kind of went. That's all I remember. Quite, quite go the way he wanted it, and I know that he like he did a bunch of like dick tricks. He would do tricks with his dick, and the doctor is like, "You can't do that anymore." Like your dick can't take it, <laughs> <laughs> which I was kind of surprised that they didn't bring up an Uncle Kent too. You know, seemed because that seemed like that was a big part of the first Uncle Kent that it should have been talked about in Uncle Kent too. But whatever. Yeah, maybe. Um, this was it. Uh, it was good enough. Um, it was. I got to be honest, it wasn't weird enough for me. Mm. I was really hoping that they would just. I kept wanting them to go further and they just never seem to yeah it, it doesn't get really weird until the end and then even the end it just doesn't seem like they really know what they're doing with the weirdness like especially the one scene where it's just like people coming into his hotel room mm-hmm. and it's just like okay like is that i don't know if this joke is really working but yeah. again it's one of those things like as i'm watching it i'm like you know this is good enough this is entertaining this isn't kind of enjoyable but uh you know, when it's done, I'm thinking, ah, I didn't have to watch that. And I'm never going to watch it again. I'm probably not really going to remember too much. I liked Uncle Kent, too. Uh, for the, It's one of those movies where the more you think about it, it's, it's a very meta movie. And I like, I like movies that kind of uh, have that kind of theme to them. So, like, it starts off with him coming up with ideas for uncle Kent too. And it's exactly what we're seeing in the movie. Yeah. And the first 12 minutes are directed by Joe Swanberg, which is funny because in, in the movie, Joe Swanberg's like, he approaches him first to direct it. And he's, and he's not, he does, he's like, I don't do sequels. You know, I don't, I'm not interested in this and how he was talking about sequel culture and just how he hates how movies are just nothing but sequels and reboots and franchises now. And he just doesn't want to be a part of that, which is really funny because if you see any of the marketing, the, you know, the teal and orange poster is one thing, but the trailer makes it look like a, it's, it's cut together like a big action movie with like the letters popping out at you, which is another trope that's in, which, which is in trailer in trailers. And, it says like the tagline. One of the taglines is "You didn't have to see the original" or something like that. Which is true, right? You have to see the original. The only thing I think that you would be kind of lost would be uh, Jennifer Prager. You wouldn't quite understand. But that's like, yeah. I mean, that's but like yeah. barely. But that, I mean, yeah, that's it's, all. You, really, all you need to know is she was in the first one, which they establish. Yeah. That's that's like the the most important thing. I I like this the kind of slow descent into madness with the whole singularity thing and as he's reading the singularity uh things start to act weird. And it's just uh it, it's one of those movies that I just like to think about. I like to I like to look at it as a whole and then start peeling away the layers. The singularity was really interesting to use that as the essentially, you know, the whole the whole basis of the sequel. Yeah, is you know, if you're thinking like, man, I like what film would tackle the singularity? I think the last thing you would think is like, oh, probably like in a sequel (laughs) to Uncle Ken. Yeah, that's the funny thing about it, <laughs> which is which is fantastic. And there are there are some really great uh, like sequences to this film. Like when he goes to see the doctor, played by Steve Little, mm-hmm. that is fantastic. The, the I love picture, it. I love it. Just everything about it, where he's like, follow the finger, follow my <laughs> and he finger. He walks out. Yeah, <laughs> just all of it, all of it. I mean, Steve Steve Little really. Oh, he does anything. Oh yeah, I know. He's he's so fantastic. He's, He's the best. Um, at the, when he takes um, uh, Miriam, cat agent, played by Lindsay Haley, when he takes her back to her uh, room and he's like, you know, shows her the picture, and the picture is now 
with her. Yeah, <laughs> just his reaction of, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck. <laughs> and just when when the singularity happens and he's trying to explain it to people and people keep disappearing and he's like changing his theory, like everything that is happening in those sequences, like just his reaction, the way he's acting is fantastic. I love it. It's just, there's a lot of just really like downtime really where there's, just there's not really too much happening Mm -hmm. it's not weird enough for me and i'm just i'm like let's let's do something let's do something instead of just hanging out it yeah it's interesting because there's this kind of middle bit where it's it's transitioning between the normal like like uncle kent one and the craziness that is uncle kent two so there's this middle bit where it's like Eh, some weird stuff is happening, but it's not f- like full on yet. And yeah, I will agree that that that's definitely, it's like really when he gets to San Diego, when he gets to comic con and that's when kind of this lull of sorts happens where it's like, yeah, there's not a whole lot going on, but I liked, yeah. I liked this stuff before San Diego. Like it's just cause the, there was like small bits. Like when he was trying to put the beer in the paper bags and he was trying to double bet, it was just that, the fact that they let that whole thing play out with him but trying yeah, to double it you, up. Yeah, and you knew it was going to happen. Sure, like, but it was on. still funny. It was, it was still, funny. It still made you me laugh. Because you knew, and which is great, because I think that's it. that shows how great of a comedic bit that is. Because you know what's going to happen. Those paper handles aren't going to be able to handle that. You got two Lagunitas in there. <laughs> not happening. So then, I don't care how many fucking paper bags you use. You got those paper handles. It's not going to work. And then it just it just like it just cuts to him on the bike carrying, <laughs> carrying one. <laughs> he was able to salvage one out of it, which yeah. is good. Because if he would have lost both, that would have been fucking tragic. Can't be losing Lagunitas like that. And that was that was the one thing that I other thing I liked is the the clear distinction between Joe Swanberg's bit and Todd Rohal's bit. Like the 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 you can clearly tell. As soon as Rohal's part starts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it's just I I liked that kind of juxtaposition between the two. Yeah, I also like the whole breakout thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was great. It's just I mean I, to me it's just a bit too uneven. Again, I, there's parts that I really like, and then there's other parts that I'm just I, I'm not. I'm not on board with at all. I didn't. I didn't care too much for the whole monster animatronic monster stuff. Like I felt like that scene lasted too long. Yeah, I hear you. I did like uh, Robert Longstreet just the, with the, with the wings, just destroying those <laughs> wings or ribs. Something he's just sucking on those bones. <laughs> he's like, just fucking on the town. I like that they, the, I like that the the fact that they did shoot it at Comic Con, and I like that they incorporated his panel into it because <laughs> it, I, the whole time I, I just kept thinking, it, does the panel? Did he like tell them before the panel started that he was going to be that this was going to be in the movie, or did he just go up there and do the panel and act like that? And people in the audience were probably like, what is he doing? Why is he acting so weird? <laughs> uh, I like to think that they, they were not aware. No, they're probably not. Probably not at all. I think that was for a SpongeBob. Because of SpongeBob panel. SpongeBob. I saw that uh, the the guy who was the... I think the one that... One, one of the editors was... Uh, Pendleton Ward. Oh, he did the animation. Oh, he did the animation. I thought it said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe it said anim, uh, animation editing or something. Because I thought it said editing in the credits. Mm. Something about editing. But I got to yeah, that, and that was one thing where you have the credits at the beginning, or you know, after the first twelve minutes or whatever, the credits pop up, and that's one of the things that pops up is animation by Pendleton Ward, and I'm just like. Oh God, yes. Yeah, there really but, wasn't any. There was, yeah, there was some. It, there was some. There was with the, some, but it, I mean, it's it's really, you know. Th- yeah, don't go into it. Looking, no, I got my hopes up. Like when I saw that, I was like, ooh. 
and then you know what at the end you're just like that's it that's all i got yeah i overall though i i still enjoyed it i i didn't care too much for the, the invisibility potion scene either yeah it, it didn't work for me at all and then they show up later too and it's just like these fucking guys again yeah it's just a little too slapsticky and goofball these fucking guys Weird Al. Weird Al cameo. Yeah, I know. And then, yeah, Weird Al shows up, and I'm just like, I I don't like Weird Al. Like, what are we doing here? I don't don't have anything against him. I do like that he stopped masturbating for Weird Al. He did. And then continued from... I do. I really... (laughs) I just like the thought of people listening to us that haven't seen Uncle Ken, too. (laughs) Where they just hear you go, I like the fact that he stopped masturbating. For Weird Al, <laughs> it just like what what they would think at that point in time. But, all, wait, what? All you need to know is that it starts off like a normal indie comedy, and I think that it, Ken Osborne just gets lost in his own mind, and it gets crazy. And I just I wonder if that's them kind of like you know, how some people like criticize and they'll say, oh, it's just you know it's masturbatory. You know, it's just self-indulgent. So they're just like, you know what? Let's just have you masturbate. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the whole the whole film is like that. He he hooks up with three beautiful women in the course of like two days. You know, it's like, yeah. of course, this is it's like the most uh, narcissistic movie. But it's <laughs> that's the point. It's like him. It's him writing this movie. Of course he's going to do that. I don't know. I, I found it to be really interesting. And it's one of those movies where... So I rewatched it for this review. I saw this, I don't know, a long time ago for South by Southwest. And it rewatching it, I saw... I found more things about it. And just... I looked at it from different angles. And it's... Uh, I think that it's... If you think about it it's more complex than it than it leads on that it oh yeah yeah and i like that about this movie where it's the more you think about it kind of the more you get from it i would say yes and no because i mean you get stuff from it but i don't know what like entirely what you're getting Right. I mean, it's not like you're gaining, but but that's how a lot of those movies are. I mean, like Primer, for instance, if you try to pick apart Primer and, and break it down, it's not, it's, it's yeah, not like you're, you're somehow yeah, enriching you, your life. You know, I guess you are getting the same, the same substance from Uncle Kent too as you are from Primer. That's true. That's a good point. I'll give you that. And I mean, Primer doesn't have Robert Longstreet just fucking nauseous. <laughs> banging out, <laughs> banging out the... <laughs> oh god I was yeah, actually, that was the, I mean that was one of the aspects that was sorely missing from primer if we got to throw that out there uh, agreed and breakout I, I needed I need some more yeah if you would have played breakout over the entirety of primer I think it would have been I think it would definitely bump it up to a 10 out of 10 yeah for me anyways I also like the fact that they played it at Swanberg's party. They played in uh, Werewolf or One Night Ultimate Werewolf and changed it to film critics. <laughs> that the werewolves were film critics. Uh, it's it is uh, it's stupid fun. Mm-hmm. It's yep. stupid fun. And I think that it's also a film that's almost almost critic proof too, because it, it's really hard to criticize this movie because there's an easy way to just justify pretty much anything in it. Well, plus, and they, they, they kind of, from the outset, they're just like, there's no reason for this to exist. This is really stupid. Yep. So if you continue watching, it's your fucking fault. Yeah. Really? Exactly. So that's uncle Kent too. That is available via Fandor. And unless you're in New York, unless you're in New York, and then you can go see it in theater. It is not streaming on Fandor. So if you have Fandor and you live in the greater New York area, you will not be able to stream it, I found out. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Lessons being learned. Yes. Just like just like the intervention. Exactly. We're all I learning. Mean, it's, a li- it's a little bit different, we're, but it's kind of the same thing. We're all learning from each other today. That's that's <laughs> the the theme of this week's show. <laughs> learning from each other. The uh, more you know. Yeah. There you go. All right. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list, Kevin. It is your turn this week. Are you sure? I watched one movie. <laughs> I didn't see that's that. Sad. I, I didn't see it's, that many. So it's just a heads up. It's really I don't know how I did this. I don't know how I was able to squeeze in Uncle Kent too in the intervention. <laughs> uh I watched Sunset Song. Okay. Okay. So this is uh Terrence Davies. This is my first first Terrence Davies movie. Um so let me read you the synopsis real quick and you let me know what you think. The daughter of a Scottish farmer comes of age in the early 1900s. So that's it. That's that. a, that's the whole scene. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all it says. Yeah. So let that sink in. It's 135 minutes. Oh, so, um, I will say that I was, I was kind of surprised with this one. It's not my cup of tea. The, which apparently is, that's like another thread of this show. It's just things aren't my cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not one. Rarely a cup of tea that you like. (laughs) I I don't like most teas. Okay. Uh, It's a coming age film. Scottish, the daughter of a Scottish farmer. Early 1900s. It's a period piece. Uh, It's 135 minutes. It is extremely predictable, as the early 1900s are. And, uh, yeah, everything's okay. It's all right. But I'll tell you this. I'm in it for this. The cinematography in this movie is outstanding. It is absolutely gorgeous. Every frame looks like a goddamn painting. It's just unbelievable. And guess what they're using? They're using dissolves. You know how much I fucking hate dissolves? Oh, you hate them. Fucking hate them, okay? I actually like them in this movie. Now, they also use another thing that I hate, and that's voiceover, okay? Fucking hate voiceover. You know how much I hate voiceover. I also fucking hate it in this movie. It's fucking terrible in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, you subverted our expectations. Yeah. They, they they did it with the dissolves. The, the, the narration is just, it's, it, no, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. You know, it's kind of like trying to go that like uh, literature route mm-hmm. where she's like, she's like coming of age and then they'll, they'll take like little interludes where they just kind of show the landscape and she comes on and does her like poetic narration of like, I endure just like the land indoors and it's just like yeah we we like we're watching you do these things you don't have to tell me i can surmise from what's happening on the screen because you're living and doing things and moving i can figure it out on my own so you're just kind of reiterating what's happening with words stop doing that please <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a weird one but i you know, I got to give it to it just for the cinematography. And I mean, it's it's good. It's good writing. It's good direction. It's a solid movie. It's just, it's not like everything that's it, it, that it's about. It's not anything that I like or want to see. Yeah. It but, doesn't sound like it'd be for me either. But it's enough that I'm like, you know, it's my first Terrence Davies movie. And I've been meaning to watch him for quite some time. And I'll definitely check out more. And I mean, if you get me on board with you through a daughter of a Scottish farmer who comes of age in the early 1900s, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty. And you use terrible voiceover narration and dissolves. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Nice. All right. That's Sunset Song. Uh, I saw Warcraft. Oh, now, how terrible was this? It was absolutely terrible it was so bad i don't i i I saw it for the duncan jones factor i like duncan Mm -hmm. jones and i thought okay maybe maybe it's not as bad as critics are saying uh i wanted to see a just something light something fun you know something adventurous i was looking for an adventure movie uh this is this was just a slog it was 
I don't understand. It was so atrociously put together. The, the character development, it was so bad. At one point, I realized, I came to the realization, this is at least an hour in. I have no idea who these people are. I don't know. I cannot name one single character in this movie. And, uh, and that just kind of solidified it for me. Like, this is just terrible storytelling. It was not, it was not interesting. The, the CG was really hit or miss. Some of it was actually quite good. Like the, the kind of the facial features and things on, on the, the orcs. But a lot of it was just to me, pretty subpar. Like it was too, they used too much. There was too much mm-hmm. CG. It was almost like it was, I was watching a cutscene from the like world of Warcraft or something. Yeah. The plot was, uh, bare bones and incoherent at times. I didn't, there were things like, like for instance, this one, the one orc character, she kind of sides with the humans at one point. And she, she looks like, like half orc, half human. Mm-hmm. And she alludes to the fact that she, that's what she is, but then she never says it like, and it's never really discussed or explored at all. And then just like, okay, we're just okay. We're not going to go there with that. We're not. We're just going to accept the fact that she's an orc. She's basically a human that has green skin, and, okay. and like tiny little fangs. Okay. And just everything about it was so bad. I just. I want to. I want to say that it was the studio's involvement that messed this up, but I don't know. I don't know if I could say that because it, it just seems like this was one that was dead on arrival. Just terrible. Avoid. Even if you're into Warcraft, which I'm not a big Warcraft guy. I don't I don't know the yeah. lore. I don't know anything. And that's the other thing is like if you don't know Warcraft, if you don't know the story of Warcraft, you're probably gonna be lost as you watch this. That's what I wonder. Like is it is it more so of just Warcraft? I don't know. Maybe like, do you think maybe, that you I, can make a good Warcraft movie or I, I remember when this first came out, it was People were saying this is a fan film. This is this is the type of movie that the fans will like, and everyone else will it will not like it. But I, I don't I don't think that that make the, that shouldn't give it a pass. I mean, I feel like yeah. you can make a film that's for the fans, but also create new fans. You know, introduce people into this franchise. And I played World of Warcraft. I played the the first three Warcraft games, the the RTS ones. This is supposedly based on the first Warcraft game, and I mean I don't remember enough about it to be into the story. So, at, at any rate, Warcraft, terrible. Probably one of the worst movies of the year, as far as like the big Hollywood ones. Uh, I one, do I do remember seeing the trailer for this, and I just thought that this looked like the worst thing. Yeah, it did not look good. I mean, it didn't look good from the beginning. No. So, very unfortunate. I hope this doesn't screw up uh, Duncan Jones' career. I hope that, if anything, maybe he'll go back to making smaller movies, which I hope he does. Uh, One that came out this week that I saw that uh, I was very pleasantly surprised with was Don't Breathe. This is the new one by Fide Alvarez who uh, previously directed the Evil Dead remake, which I liked. This is better. So, so this, is, this is good stuff right here? This is great stuff right here. So, oh, shit. You're uh, dropping, dropping a grade on it? Yeah, Blake reviewed this for the site. I think he gave it an 8 out of 10. This is probably going to be a contender for best horror movie of the year. It is, uh, it is excellent. It is the type of movie that you want to go into completely cold, and I All would right. highly highly recommend seeing this in the theater because if you saw the trailer, uh, this is not a big spoiler. I think I can safely say this without ruining anything. It's about, uh, three, three friends who decide that they're going to rob this man's house. And it turns out that he's blind. So they're going to rob a blind man because they got a tip that he has like 300 grand hidden in his house. But when they go in, things go very, very wrong. And because it's all about your senses, uh, the sound in this movie is very much heightened. So everything, like this, all of the sound design, the sound editing is 
very crisp and clear and kind of the, the decibel levels raised up a little bit. So everything you can hear everything, every creak of the floorboard, every, uh, every breath that they take, like that's actually a whole, a big thing is they have to be very careful how they breathe because this guy can hear them and he's kind of hunting them throughout this house. And because of that, I would recommend seeing this in the theater. I was able to see this in the Dolby Atmos um, theater in Times Square, and it was awesome. Like the, the experience, this is a this is a it's a horror movie, but it's more of like kind of a suspense thriller, and you will be on the edge of your seat the whole time. I mean, this is like nonstop suspense, and uh, I had a ball. I had a blast with this movie. It was hmm. it was fucking great. Oh man, I'm gonna have to watch. Don't breathe. If you can see it in the theater. If you can talk your wife into seeing it in the theater, and the two of you go on like a Sunday afternoon. I think she actually wants to see it. She's always down for any of the like horror movies. This is, this is definitely one to see. I mean, if you, if you see it at home, I think you'll still enjoy it. But yeah. I think it is really about the theater experience for this. Because I can almost guarantee that it got a bump in my score because of the theater experience for this one. Okay. So uh, probably like watching at home. I mean, I, at like two. yeah, no, <laughs> if, if you watch it at home, I would recommend headphones or at least turning the volume up past two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as far as the movie itself, you know, it, it, uh, it plays with tropes. So like the tropes, all the horror tropes are there. It it is very much kind of a slasher movie, but and it's not that it necessarily goes against those tropes or or subverts expectations, but it just presents everything in kind of an interesting and entertaining way. So don't don't go in expecting. I mean, there are there are surprises and twists and turns, but just don't go into it expecting that it's not a horror movie. You know, it it does very much fall into that category. But at any rate, I would definitely recommend seeing Don't Breathe. Uh, it is, and it's doing very well at the box office too, and it's getting uh, good reviews as well. Uh, I saw yeah. Blood Punch. This came out in 2013. This is uh, a horror movie that I'm not even, it's probably not even worth me talking about it too much. Um, explain what the blood punch is though. I, I don't really know honestly I actually <sighs> don't even shame. know that's a shame I didn't die. It's, it's Groundhog Day the movie is basically Groundhog Day it's but, a, but a horror version of Groundhog Day so it's about these three uh, criminals who go to this kind of remote cabin and they in order to cook meth mm-hmm. but there's a, an ancient Indian, they're, they're like on ancient Indian land, and there's this, um, this um, I guess, myth or whatever that says if you spill blood on this sacred land, then you're doomed to repeat that same day for, the, for eternity or whatever. So one of them gets killed, and as a result, they have to keep living the same day over and over again. Uh, the thing is... Kind of the, I guess, maybe a little bit of a twist is that if you die, when you wake up, you don't remember. Like, you have no memory of the fact that you're in a time loop sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't die, like, if you just go to sleep, then you wake up and you do remember everything. Mm, Which will help you try and work your way out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's slightly interesting, but the there were several things that really kind of irked me about it. One of them is the sound in this one. Uh, you know, it's funny. I just talked about the sound in, the, in Don't Breathe, and it was so good. The sound in this one is absolutely atrocious. I mean, it sounds like the, the canned sound effects that they use are the worst. It sounds like a beatboxer is making these noises. It's, just, it's so is that, terrible. Is that what Rozelle's doing now? <laughs> we're, we're in all the blood punch. I, I forgot all about that guy until <laughs> he just mentioned it. 
I said in my letterbox review that it sounds like they were ripped from YouTube using a trial version of an MP3 ripper at four (laughs) four kilobits per second. So they're not good is what you're saying. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, One other thing that also bothered me is the the female lead in this movie. She's so terrible. She's, she's just awful. Um, And throughout the whole movie, she's lighting matches uh, with her finger. So that's this, you know, there's a, what are they called? Self-striking matches or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like lighting matches with her finger and lighting, lighting her cigarettes. But it's like, it happens so much. And it's like, okay, maybe the first time you did it, you look kind of cool. But after 50 or 60 times, I just want to, I want to blood punch you. That's what <laughs> I want to do. And she constantly I- says the lead, the lead uh, actor's name, Milton. So she's, she's just constantly saying Milton, and it, and it drives me crazy. And at, at any rate, Blood Punch, I wasn't too keen on it. it sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, I saw The Midnight Swim. This is from 2014. Hey, I wanted to see this. This is directed by Sarah Dina Smith. How is this? Uh, it's not great. Oh. Yeah. So this stars Lindsay Burge. It's a found footage horror movie. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm not sure if you were aware of that. I, did, I, I was not aware of that. Yes. This is a found footage horror movie. So Lindsay Burge is one of three sisters who they are traveling back to their um, family home, family lake home. And I, I guess the, their their mother died and they're kind of going back to get their affairs in order and they're they're thinking about selling the place, but they're not sure if they're going to sell it or rent it out. So they go there for the weekend and Lindsay Burge decides she's going to make a documentary of the whole thing. So she's pretty much behind the camera, uh, throughout the whole, throughout the majority of the movie, there's times when you can see her in a mirror or she comes, she sits the camera down and comes in front of it. But for the most part, it's Lindsay Burge doing the camera work on this. She, she has a lot of dialogue though. Like she speaks from behind the camera. Okay. Right. Uh, as far as the whole found footage stuff, it again, fo- all the pitfalls of found footage are here. Like, how can we hear them? They they don't have external mics. How is this? Who edited this? How is this being cut together? Just all this, the normal stuff. Yeah. With this movie, for some reason, it didn't because when I started watching it, I didn't really realize that it was a found footage. So for some reason it didn't bother me as much as other ones. Cause it doesn't really feel like a found footage movie, just the way that it's edited and the way that the cuts occur and stuff. It doesn't really feel like a found footage movie too much. Uh, okay. but at any rate, the other big trope that found footage movies tend to have is that it's very boring. This movie is insanely slow and the payoff is almost non-existent. It's just about, you know, these three girls, they, they sort of evoke this spirit within the lake and some really strange things start to happen and it eventually kind of culminates, but the culmination is just not interesting at all. Like I, there's sort of a twist that happens. that's maybe kind of interesting, but I just, by the end, I was just like, all right, well, I'm glad this is over. <laughs> That isn't to say that they didn't do some interesting things in this because it was kind of, you know, these, these, these girls, as they were experiencing these things, they started to kind of lose it a little bit. And Lindsay Burge's character, especially, she started to kind of go crazy. And so it, it has some interesting ideas. I just think that overall, it, I found it to be pretty dull. Mm. But again, that's, that's called The Midnight Swim. That's not what I was hoping to hear. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I was I was kind of uh, kind of stoked to see it. I saw the creep behind the camera. This is a documentary about um, AJ Nelson, aka Vic Savage. He's the director mm-hmm. of The Creeping Terror, which was an infamous B movie that is. Some some say that it is the worst film ever made. They say it's worse than Plan Nine and all this stuff. Uh, so this this movie is it's like half documentary, like half talking head documentary, half biopic. So they right. intersperse documentary 
interviews with reenactments of this guy's life. And it actually works because the, the reenactment parts are pretty well put together. I mean, it's very like bright and colorful and it has this kind of early sixties aesthetic to it. And they incorporate the music into it. And there's this kind of dark humor that kind of is this undercurrent throughout. So it, it kind of worked for me. And I, I was fully expecting this to be not a very interesting, pretty typical documentary. And it's, it's really not. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. The other thing is I, I didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know his story. And I was slightly intrigued by that. Turns out he was a pretty crazy guy. So... First of all, he, he's basically kind of, he's sort of a psychopath, this, this director. And he was, he was stalking Lucille Ball and he got, okay. he got in trouble for stalking Lucille Ball. And he also stalked another famous actress. I can't remember who right now. Uh, he worked with Charles Manson. So when they were shooting the Creeping Terror, they were looking for a place, they were looking for some props and they were looking for a place to shoot some scenes as it turns out they ended up on charles manson's farm and so they worked with him and a lot of the cars that were used in the movie were cars owned by charles manson so that's one little another little interesting tidbit he borrowed money from gangsters he borrowed money from mickey cohen and and when he couldn't pay him back mickey cohen beat the shit out of him or rather mickey cohen's goons beat the shit out of him and then uh, one other weird thing was he got in a fight with Alfalfa from the Little Rascals and shot him in the hand. <laughs> so he shot Alfalfa. You're just, I feel as though you're making this stuff up. It's crazy. This guy lived such a weird, crazy life. And he was such a horrible human being, too. I mean, he, he, uh, he, he beat his wife regularly. Um, and he raped her, too. He was just an awful person. Then he started dating this 12-year-old girl. And then he ended up marrying her. It's just... It's, he was an absolutely terrible, yeah. terrible human being. But it's, the, it's, it's kind of an interesting Hollywood story. And uh, I'd actually recommend checking this out called The Creep Behind the Camera. Wow. Yeah, if you like well, you know, old Hollywood crazy stories this is it's one to to look at uh the other one the only other one i saw was called let us pray this is from 2014 it's a uh, uh, crap i can't remember uh it's a scottish film that's it uh directed by brian o'malley sort of uh it's sort of a play on the whole uh assault on precinct 13 shtick where it's um uh, a, a police station that's under siege, but this one is kind of it's being under. It's like the worst police precinct anyone could ever imagine. Everyone that worked there is basically murderers and psychopaths. Okay, all right. It's kind of crazy. It's there's a there's there's a supernatural element to it where basically this man shows up and kind of reveals all of the dark secrets of the people that work there and the, the prisoners that are there. And then through a series of events, they all end up getting killed. Uh, extremely violent, extremely disturbing at times, kind of shockingly violent actually, because it's, it's realistic violence, which is always mm -hmm. all yeah, the more awesome. unsettling. Yeah, that's rough. But at any rate, I, I kind of enjoyed this one. I'd say it's worth worth a look. Pretty well made. Some of the acting is a little iffy. Uh, great um, opening title sequence. Sort of reminded me of the Bronx Warriors movie that I saw last week, where it's just it's it's like a black background and then credits over the black background, and then like an object, like barbed wire or a skull or a, I gotta get that skull in there, you know, whatever. But at any rate, Let Us Pray is one that I would uh, cautiously recommend. It's just go into it knowing that it is very, very violent. Yeah. Is it too violent for me? Uh, no. I would say no. I mean, it's not like... There's a couple parts where you, you might end up 
you know, looking away, kind of recoiling in terror. Yeah. But it's not, it's not nonstop or anything. I mean, we're not talking martyrs here or anything like that. It's not on that level. That's good. That's good. All right. Let's talk about some predictions. Last week, Mechanic Resurrection, you said 42. I said 28. Actual 24. <clears throat> it's funny. I heard almost nothing about this. Same here. <laughs> I completely forgot about it until you just said its title. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like they just kind of swept this one under the rug, I think. Uh, Don't Breathe. You said 50. I said 56. Actual 87. Damn. Yeah. Just, Damn. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Next week, got a whole lot of nothing because of the holiday, I'm I'm guessing. You have Morgan. This is the one with Kate Mara and Paul Giamatti, Jennifer Jason Lee, and the uh the girl from The Witch. Looks uh looks like it could be entertaining, but it also looks pretty like we've seen this movie before. It's about like kind of a a girl who has the ability to, I don't know, control 100% of her brain or something. It's like Lucy. Oh, Jesus Christ. What are you Stop thinking on it. Morgan? 22. I'll say 36 on that one. That's pretty much it as far as big releases. Well, that gives you an idea how much... What they think of Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're winding down the, the summer season here. Really feeling Morgan. Yep. Uh, I can, I mean, I guess we can predict yoga hosers because that comes out. Oh, my God. Have you seen the trailer for this? this? I've been hearing about this thing for ages. I mean, just forever. And it's, I get the sense that everyone hates it. Like, that's pretty much all I've heard. Yeah. Is that yeah. it's got awful. Yeah, I think everybody hates it. Uh, the trailer looks tremendously bad. Like, th- there's this really terrible CG. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not on board with yoga hosers, I'm sorry to say. I'll say uh, 18. Say 14. In limited release next week, we have The Ninth Life of Louis Drax, or Louis Drax, I don't know. We have Skip Trace, that's, that's the one with Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville. Ooh. Skip Trace. Bah. Johnny Knoxville, come back. Come back. Little, little Jay Knoxville, come back. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we have. White Girl, Solace. Uh, Max Rose, which, okay. is, which is starring Jerry Lewis, who I oh, yeah. could have sworn was dead. Uh, I actually heard good things about that. Eh, I don't could know. Be wrong. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Uh, Zoom. This is the one with Gail Garcia Bernal and Allison Pill. Okay. Another another kind of meta movie. Oh boy. Yeah. Fucking meta movies. This one, this one, I'm not. I'll watch it, but I'm not. We need, I mean, honestly, we need more. There's not enough meta stuff out there. I agree. We need, just, we need just everything. Movie. Every every we movie that comes that. out needs to have one meta element. We need more meta movies, even if it more. makes no sense. Yeah, and doesn't just pertain. Fucking throw it into the film. Really, we need more boxing movies. Because really, if you think about it, there's not enough. Well, speaking of which, we have Kickboxer Vengeance (laughs) coming out next week. (laughs) Uh, Kickboxer. Yeah, Kickboxer Vengeance. One second. Typing this in here. See if I can pull this up. Remember those Kickboxer movies? (laughs) Did you ask me if I remember those Kickboxer movies? Fuck. Of course I remember those Kickboxer movies. We have another Natasha Leone film with Anti-Birth next week. I'm, I'm interested in that. It looks really weird. Okay. Clown Forever comes out next week. All right. Yeah, Summer of Eight. Yeah, right? And that's pretty much it. Wow. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot coming out next no, week. No, doesn't, it doesn't sound good. All right. Next week on Video on Demand. 
See, now I feel like if they were smart, more movies would be on VOD because people are going to be off, you know? Yeah. So we have The Conversations, Blood is Blood, Anti-Birth, Zoom, and Halloween Party. Wow. Not too much. No, I'll probably check out Anti-Birth and Zoom. Those are probably the two I'll watch. Because they, uh, eh, they both seem slightly interesting. They look like they're at least trying something different. Next week on Blu-ray, this is for August Tuesday, August 30th, we have... Oh, yeah, The Commitments is getting a re-release on Blu-ray. Okay. That's, uh-huh. that's actually coming... I think they're re-releasing that in theaters. I hated The Commitments. Hated. Still hated. hate. Still hate The Commitments. I think the, the big problem I have with that movie is I hate... I hate the band. Like, I hate the music yeah, yeah. that they create. Yeah. It doesn't help. No. I mean, if you don't like the music, I mean, it's going to be really difficult to like the movie. Exactly. The Jungle Book. This is the live action one. The Disney one. Ooh, Jungle Book. Got Citizen Soldier. Okay. This All is right. uh, this is one that I got a lot of emails about. It was, it's a, it's a documentary. It's a, but it's all... Uh, or almost all POV helmet cam footage from a a National Guard platoon. I don't I don't know what a group of National Guard soldiers I have no idea. would be called. I also know that I, I would I, like I don't want to watch that. No, it, it it's yeah. Why would I want to watch that? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it chronicles their deployment to I believe Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Not a whole lot on the Blu-ray uh, releases next week. What about some Criterions? Do we have any Criterions? Oh, oh my God. We have a twofer. Double Dip Orson Wells. Get it. You got Chimes at Midnight from 1966 coming out on Blu-ray. Maybe the most uh, rotund Orson Wells has ever been. Back in 1966, he's almost a complete sphere in that movie. And then you have The Immortal Story from 1968, which was his first color film and its final feature. So you got those two hmm. cool. coming out on the old Blu-rays. All right. Cool. Well, I think that that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcastfilmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And at Film Pulse, Kevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse, and consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.